0: So I'd actually been contacted uh, by some folks within the intelligence community, uh, and they had bought a number of smaller startups that were doing classified work, and then they asked me if I would join to run that group, which I did, and to figure out the defensive security strategy and be able to expose it in a way that is meaningful because those are the things that are, you know, that are swirling around out in the wild that will kill you right now. Who says tech can't be human?
1: What's going on, Hacker Valley fam? Welcome back to the show. We are doing something special, something so special. We're hosting this event called On the Big Screen, where we're bringing together security leaders, CISOs, and also some of your favorite cybersecurity vendors to talk about the world of cybersecurity. And to make all of this happen, we have a great partner with me, uh, Nick Lanta, who is the CEO and co-founder of Interpret Security. Also, Nick I've been very fortunate and blessed to get to know you and the team and to learn more about what y'all are building at Interpret Security, but most importantly, welcome to the show. Thanks Ron, thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, yes, so let's kick it off. I got word when you know I, I, I first heard about Interpret Security that the founder of Interpret Security, one of the co-founders also was the co-founder for NetWitness and my jaw dropped because I was like one of the first non-open source tools that I had any insight or exposure to. And uh, at that time, you know, this was back in 2010 where I, I learned about NetWitness when I started my cybersecurity career. And to have the opportunity to you know work with you now, I'm like, oh man, I have a lot of questions for you. My first one is how in the heck did you get started in this crazy world of cybersecurity? Yeah,
0: so cyber really started for me when I was running um, sales uh, for a cyber company. And, uh, and then obviously I had the opportunity to, you know, to found NetWitness, which was kind of really the start of you know, of my career of running and, and building and founding companies.
1: When you got that initial exposure to founding your, the first company, NetWitness, was it, was it like a tuning fork where you're like, this is what I was meant to do in the realm of cyber? Is it like running businesses for you?
0: Yeah, I'd always wanted to run my own business. Uh, that was always in my mind from, you know, from childhood. And uh, when I finally got the opportunity and, you know, started doing it and realized that that we were having success, uh, you know, I was really hooked. And, uh, you know, here I am now, you know, four companies later. Yeah. Uh, So it's, it's been a, it's been a really fun ride over the last goodness, almost 20 years.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What, what do you think is the differentiator between yourself and, you know, other founders? You had, such success on your first one and you know we're going to talk about the other companies that you founded but you had a lot of success on each and every step along the way i feel like you kind of have something that's within you maybe a strategy a process or just a mindset that really sets you apart
0: well i think it's uh, i think it's a couple things right i mean to have a successful company you need to have uh, an idea that makes sense and matters and can make a difference in the industry you have to have an accepting market yeah probably most importantly you just have to have great people around you that know right. how to execute so I've been fortunate on all those fronts. You know, every time with, you know, with uh, NetWitness, with Eastentire, um, you know, and now with um, uh, you know, they've been fantastic companies. I did I did one turnaround in between uh, Eastentire and uh, and Interpris. Uh, but you know, when you have a great idea, when you have a great market that's accepting of the solution, and the timing's right, and then you put good people in play, uh, you know, to do what they do, uh, it, it's magic. Yes, lightning in a bottle
1: what was the thing that led you to found NetWitness?
0: So I'd actually been contacted uh, by some folks within the intelligence community. Um, And it was through uh, one of the large publicly traded government contractors. uh, And they had bought a number of smaller startups that were doing classified work. And they had built this tool uh, for several programs within the intel community. And they asked me if I could take a look at it. They knew what to do with the contract work and the and the bodies, you know, the body shop kind of work, and they wanted to see if there was something that we could do with the actual product. And so, I took a look at it, um, spent quite a bit of time. They asked me if I can consult with the team, mm-hmm. uh, which I did for a while, and then they asked me if I would join to run that group, which I did, and to figure out an exit strategy for how we can pull that out and uh, and make it a standalone company.
1: Mm. And uh, when it came to NetWitness, you also had a co-founder then, right?
0: Uh, so I brought in, um, a, uh, a partner I meet your end. Um, so really? after we pulled it out and, you know, started going, then I'd uh, brought him
1: in. Gotcha. And, you know, looking back, I'm sure there's maybe some reflections that you do here and there thinking about that first company. What was the differentiator within the organization that really propelled it to where it, where it went? Um, you know, it was it was really a, the, the timing for that technology for the
0: market was really good. Mm. Um, and, you know, the whole concept of being able to do session traffic analysis and, you know, being able to do forensics on the network, um, you know, we had one customer say it uh, pretty succinctly and said, you know, Wireshark's got a big brother.
1: <laughs> right? And so,
0: you know, the uh, it, it was it was a maturation of the industry. I think it was a maturation of, you know, people understanding and wanting to understand you know, the full-on session um, dynamics and, and metadata. And, uh, you know, up to that point, it was logs, right? Logs okay. was kind of the currency that was uh, that was being used, and, and we brought a lot of contextual understanding uh, behind that. And so there was a lot of great timing, but we also had just a lot of great people, um, yeah. you know, across the board.
1: And uh, from just hearing you on other platforms, you know, we had you on the Professional CISO Podcast. And you brought up the fact that you were son of immigrants. Uh, Did that influence, you know, your journey into being a founder?
0: Yeah, it really did. Um, You know, my brother and I, we pedal our bikes up to my dad's Texaco gas station. and We pump gas and, you know, change oil, you know, fill up oil and fill up windshield fluid and clean and paint the islands and all that, all the maintenance stuff. And I just watching my dad just run the gas station um, really, you know, instilled in me back then that I didn't want a boss. And you know, I wanted to actually be, you know, do my own thing, have my own company. I didn't know what that was going to be or what that was going to look like. But uh, from a very early age, uh, that was always something that I wanted to do.
1: And uh, where were your parents from? Uh, so Ukraine and Belarus. Okay, gotcha. And and where are you from?
0: Uh, so I was born in upstate New York in Rochester.
1: Okay, so that's where you grew up. That's where the gas station was at. That's where the gas station was at. Okay. Yeah. Snowy winters, still riding up there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yes. So you, I mean, that's amazing that you knew from early on that at some point you wanted to be your own boss. I think that's powerful to have at least a little bit of an inclination of where your future is going to take you, because you could use that as a North Star whenever you get confused or unmotivated. And you you did it again after NetWitness. You you ran NetWitness, you ultimately sold it, and then you started other companies. Uh, Before jumping into the other companies that you founded, what was the uh, thing that pulled you into selling the business because in a way you're kind of pulling yourself out of being your own boss. If you sell, then maybe you have to rest and invest for a while as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was a, uh, the timing was right, um, you know, to sell the business. And, um, and so, you know, we did exit, it, it, it went to a great spot. Uh, you know, had a lot of growth still there. Uh, you know, the, a lot of folks stayed on for a long time uh, there, which is unusual. Um, and, uh, you know, it had a lot of success, you know, after we'd, you know, sold it off and, you know, not all startups get that opportunity. Right. Mean, some startups go and, and they kind of never get going once they get bought by the acquirer, but I think, you know, where, where it landed and the, and the synergies, uh, there were, were really, really good. Nice.
1: So let's keep the story rolling. You, you sold NetWitness, the second company, it was East Sentire, right?
0: Yeah, so so after selling that witness, um, I was uh, asked to be the chairman over Decentire when the very first early money came into the business, uh, and uh, and then I eventually became executive chairman where I ran the whole business, uh, and so we ended up uh, you know doing a really nice job there. We were on the you know we, we were fortunate you know with with Net witness, we were able to create a market, uh, so we were able to create the. The um, uh, magic quadrant for uh, network forensics and network traffic analysis, and then at eSentire, we were actually able to help create the market for eat, for uh, managed detection and response. Okay, uh, but when I was there, we uh, you know we grew very rapidly. Um, you know, Net witness we were number twenty-one in the 500. At uh, eSentire, we were in the Deloitte Fast 500 all the time. Uh, yeah. So it was really good to be a part of you know really fast growing environments. And we ultimately sold that to Warburg Pincus and East Entire is still an ongoing entity doing very well uh, under Warburg's ownership.
1: Yeah, I got some close friends that work at Eastentire. That's awesome that the companies that you've built, you know, have a legacy and didn't go away after the founder goes away you know, you see that a lot in the world of cyber, but it seems like your, your path has been very resilient. What is the difference between chairman and executive chairman? Is that like the difference between president and CEO?
0: Well, when, when chairman, it was more a governance role Mm. uh, where, you know, I ran the board, um, and obviously the CEO would report into me and an executive chair means that you have an operational role, even though you're chairman, you have an operational role in the company. So that's what we did. So the, the CEO stayed in place, uh, and I became the, 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 you know, the top operating executive in the business, um, as the executive chairman. So it was, it was a full-time job. Um, and, um, you know, I did that for, for, for quite a while, um, and we uh, we really built a good business there. That um, you know, that had a lot of uh, parties interested in us. You know, when yeah. we finally raised our hand to say it was time to time to sell.
1: What were some of the roles and responsibilities for executive chairman? Uh, really,
0: no different than that of a CEO. Uh, you know, no different than that of a CEO who was also a chairman. Okay. So that was really it. You know, so I had I had the, the CEO reporting into me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was the same type of motion that I had when, you know, you know as, if, as if you were a CEO and chairman.
1: Yeah. I, I would imagine for an organization like East Entire, um, being the executive chairman and chairman, uh, it's probably a bit different. You know, when I'm looking at current cybersecurity companies, I see advisory boards. And that's a lot different than having a board of directors. Um, I'm sure you've been on both. What are some of the similarities and differences for, you know, looking at chairman versus advisory board member?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, when, when you're an advisory board, you, you're kind of just there to, to help with questions or maybe, you know, product-related or go-to-market-related items. Um, there's no official capacity necessarily. Um, but when you're on the board of directors, it's a governance role. So you have, you have responsibility to govern the business properly and make sure that the business is... Is, is, doing everything it can to be the best that it can. Mm. Um, so it's not an operating role. It's a governance role to make sure that, um, you know, that the organization is doing right by the shareholders, by the investors, right. And doing everything the right way.
1: Do a lot of companies today have that type of structure? Cause I, I haven't really heard much about that in the cybersecurity space of having a board of directors.
0: Oh yeah. When, I mean, once you take on uh, institutional money, they all have Board of directors. So the second you take on seed funding or or A round funding, then you know you have a board that has investors on it, that has outside directors on it, Mm. that has, you know, usually typically uh founders and and the CEO, which may be the same or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's very common practice.
1: And you know, when looking at um moving from net witness to east CEO versus executive chairman. What were the opportunities that you felt like, oh, I'm really good at this part? And then what were some of those challenges where you had to kind of like dig deep in, and learn more? Yeah,
0: you know, I think instead of, I think for me, it was more of what I really enjoyed. So I grew up on the go-to-market side of the house and, and you know, the sales side and, and running sales teams and organizations. And so I really gravitated towards, you know, being on the go-to-market side. Um, and really owning the the, the customer experience and mm. um, and you know how we help the customer and what we need to do there, um, and and having it be kind of a sales led organization uh, to where you know the needs would come in and we have to react to those needs and what the market's saying and make sure that we're building the things that are applicable and needed versus what we think we should be doing. Uh, there's a there's certainly a, a, a place for that where. You know, if you're bringing innovation to market, you have to put a stake in the ground and say, hey, listen, this is what it is, and this is why it's important, and we know best on what we need to build around it. Um, but then comes a time when you have to listen to the customers where they go, hey, if you can do this and this, we're going to buy from you. And then if you have heard that multiple times, then obviously you want to go and do that. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, maybe slightly move the the product in a certain direction or, or other. Uh, but I've always enjoyed that side of the house. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, the the technical side, the financial side, um, you know, the technical side is obviously very closely tied to my whole concept of there's two things you do in a business is you, you build stuff and you sell stuff and everything else is a support (laughs) function. (laughs) Right. So I really want to focus in on those two ends of it. Um, And then, uh, you know, obviously, you know, I have some input, but we have, we've always had good people on the marketing side and the operations side and the finance side to kind of run that uh, to where it's not something that I need to dig into, and, and quite frankly, it's very important for the business. But it's, in my opinion, it's not in, it's not the important part to drive value. The important part to drive value is build a great product, and then get people to really, you know, embrace it and realize they need it and adopt it in the market space.
1: Right. So we we spoke about. NetWitness and Eastentire, and there's a lot more to the story because we know it doesn't stop there for you. You founded more companies than just NetWitness and Eastentire. The next one from our conversations that we spoke about was Fidelis. What's the what's the backstory there?
0: Yeah, so with Fidelis, um, it was actually, uh, I got a call from one of the private equity firms that had bid uh, on and not gotten uh, Eastentire when we were selling it. And they'd asked if I would be interested in coming in and and running it Um, they were looking for someone to come in and do a turnaround uh, of the business and Fidelis had some phenomenal technology uh, been around for a long time since the early 2000s and uh, they had uh, you know great network technology great detection technology some endpoint technology and you know they were just not being run probably as efficient as efficiently as they could be. Mm-hmm. Uh and uh so I was asked to come in and, and help do a turnaround. And so I did that. I brought some really good people to the table. Uh we did a revamp of the product strategy. We did a revamp of the go to market. Um, you know, brought in an entirely new uh North America sales team and entirely new leadership uh, across a lot of fronts. Uh and we took a business that was uh, hemorrhaging uh revenues and we stopped it we turned it around we started growing double digits again and then we packaged it up uh, once it was in a place uh, that was uh, you know right for the for the sale we sold it off to another private equity firm
1: what were your thoughts on doing the turnaround versus starting from scratch you
0: know i was uh, i was really um intrigued by doing the turnaround um at the end of the day if you ask me if i'd rather do you know startup new growth capital or do a turnaround I, I'd rather do the the growth capital early stage I mean that's I've, I've had a lot of success on that side and enjoy the you know that real growth motion
1: I've read a lot of books on business and founders and from like all the research that I've done it takes a very special person to do multiple turnarounds because it's like playing a game sometimes with your hand tied behind your back like you you might not know everything about the organization when you're starting out but for some people they, they like that, and then for others, they want to kind of be able to just to build and and know where everything is at from the jump.
0: yeah yeah, I, I'm, and I'm the latter I've yeah. determined from that that' I'm, I'm a growth leader, yeah um, and that's what I, what I like to do, and it's it's nicer to it's easier to start with a clean sheet of paper uh, you know to do that than it is that when you have to go in and, and decipher you know what needs to be fixed and why and, and how. Uh, and then try to figure out the growth—you know how to reignite the growth engine. Um, so, yeah, it's—it was—it was a great experience.
1: So let's talk about the the new baby, the the hot kid on the block that's coming up. You you you're building something that I think is near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. Everyone has some type of security solution, and whether you know it or not, everybody does because. Even the SaaS solutions that you have, they have some security mechanisms built in. Your laptops and devices, your assets, they have some security mechanisms built in. And what you're building with Interpris allows people to leverage what they already have and just optimize it. So, talk us a bit. Talk to us a bit about how you came up with, you know, how how you and your co-founders came up with the idea and uh, why this space versus a crowded EDR market. Yeah, yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. So. Uh, you know, what happened and and how we got together was, uh, we were doing, when we were Fidelis, we were doing some classified work, uh, and, um, you know, we were selling product into various classified areas in the government and the co-founders, my co-founders, uh, Jenks, Ian Maurer were, um, working at a CSSP, uh, working in the classified world. And we happened to cross over in these contracts where we were selling product in, and they were doing effectively the MDR management Of the environments and what they had come up with uh, was a methodology that was really unique and it was kind of threat infused um, and it was an ability where you could look at an environment um, and make sure that it was optimized against the threats that are targeting that type of environment and so it's a combination of of bringing in you know threat modeling on the organization to understand what threats are you know in the wild or are out attacking you know, organizations that look and smell and feel like you. So, really, you know, understanding the threat groups and the campaigns being run, and the TTPs associated with, and the malware being used, and the CVs that are being exploited, and then tying that back into the defensive view of the world, and saying, okay, you know, what assets do we have that are exposed? What collection do we need to have from a log perspective in order to write the proper detections? What mitigations do we have available? And doing it holistically, so not looking at it on a product by product basis, but looking at it holistically so that we're covering the gaps and the seams in between the products that adversaries exploit. And, Great. and doing that is something that, you know, we've been wanting, I've been wanting to do since net witness days about, you know, how do we, how do we make the ecosystem better? How do we make it work in harmony? You know, how do we make the, you know, the products work together in a, in a, in, a meet, in a way that it's not a fifth grade recital, but it's like the Boston Symphony where everything's you know come together the right way. Mm-hmm. And, and that's really what we're doing is we've got this ability through our technology, which we've got multiple patents on now, to be able to holistically look at an environment and be able to decipher and understand the defensive security strategy and be able to expose it in a way that is meaningful because it points you towards what needs to be prioritized and, you know, recommended to fix immediately, because those are the things that are, you know, that are swirling around out in the wild that will kill you right now.
1: When I first got introduced to Interprest, I kind of thought it was a tax service management, because I was like, okay, you have uh, vulnerabilities, you have assets, and you're getting some recommendations. I was like, perfect, the tax service management. And then I learned about the adversarial component, like marrying that information with also, what are the adversaries doing out there in the wild? Like you're mentioning, uh, looking at the threats. What what made you all decide to add that component? Because I feel like that's a very new concept that's kind of like bridging the uh, gap between IT, security, and threat intelligence.
0: Yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was really, you know, we wanted to be able to holistically be able to look at an environment and, and prescriptively be able to say, these are the actual things that matter the most. Mm-hmm. And blending those together in a way, the way that we blended it together uh, and the way that we patented the way that we do it is is really unique. When we show it to people, we don't have people saying, oh, "I don't get it," or "No, this isn't needed." And instead, we have folks saying, "Yes, we get it. Right, this is needed. Everyone needs this, and, and it's true. Every organization on the planet needs what we're doing because it, it's that it's that intelligence layer, it's that integration layer, it's that ability to bridge all of these siloed, non-integrated technologies together." From vendors that simply don't want to work together uh, and so you know we're doing it in a way where um, you know we're effectively integrating them together without you know just through a light touch you know um, and um, very effective um, you know very revealing in terms of you know actions that an organization needs to take um, to optimize their defenses against those threats that are that are targeting them
1: right what have you found to be the most surprising thing you know jumping into this space versus the other spaces that you've you've lived in, like networking? Um, You know, as the as
0: the industry matures and there's more and more vendors um, out there, there's there's a lot of noise uh, that's been created. And so there's a lot of um, money being spent on marketing versus on, you know, technologies that are differentiated. And I think that there's a lot of good technologies out there. There's a lot of great technologies out there. They're just not being utilized to their fullest potential okay. uh, and but at the same time the the marketing departments are using all the same words, so until we show somebody what we do, there's some confusion uh because there's a lot of overlapping of words right uh and you know and we're we're fine with that because when we show it. We can POC it. We, we've had a lot of success in, an, in very large, hostile environments where, you know, within, within an hour, right, outputs are there that are very meaningful, uh, you know, for security teams.
1: With being in a new space, you're, you know, going to have your own definitions and the way that you describe your solution and product. And then you see someone like Gartner who shakes up everything and says, actually, you're this um, what, you know, looking at interpret security and Gartner, Gartner categorizes interpreters as, as continuous threat exposure management, uh, two kind of questions in there for you is, did, did you all use that terminology before Gartner started, uh, calling, uh, started defining the CTEM space? And if not, then which, how did you all d- d- define it before the, the category was created?
0: Yeah. You know, the, the, the CTEM category, I mean, we, we, we facilitate that we're really not a member of it if you will right Right. because because the way gartner describes ctem is it's more of a program right and they say they they put all these products in there
1: they force them (laughs) yeah they put all these products
0: in there and they say look this is this would be you know this would be great to be able to do continuous threat exposure management and you know our view of the world is yeah agreed um but it's still and they admit this you know the products are still siloed they're not integrated there's yep. no control plane to to bring it all together. And we're, our view is that, look, you can do this continuous threat exposure management with the technologies that you already have in play. Perfect. right? So you can do this minimally. If you had a SIM and or data lake, if you have an EDR, if you have a vuln management capability, we'll be able to do it with those three alone. Now, if you give us cloud sensing and network sensing and you give us email sensing and, and other things, even better, right? We'll just enrich it even more. but we can do that exposure management and be able to show you what that looks like. We can give you a view of asset management and show you what that looks like. And we can give you a view of threat exposure based on your threat profile. And then we tie those three pieces together. And we think that that actually is a better way of doing continuous threat exposure management. Yeah. So we're a facilitator for that. And the beauty of what we do is that we're, no, we're not a sensor. We're not an agent. It takes less than an hour for us to plug in and install and be able to show value. Yep. We work in hybrid environments, so we can work in cloud only. We can work in you know, on-prem. We can work in a combination of both. Um, and the value proposition is that we're an analytic, right? We're an analytic. We want to be viewed as a trusted advisor to these organizations and the CISOs and the security teams so that you know we can not only help with the defense surface and, and securing the defense surface, but also really truly understanding the threat that you're facing from a TTP-based standpoint. Not an IFC-based standpoint. We right. don't really care about that, but from a TTP-based standpoint. Um, and then being able to marry that into your assets and into all the exposures that you have uh, and be able to you know, present to the company what matters to them, right? We've got a portion of our product that actually shows internal drift, right? Yeah, so yeah. when things change internally, was was logging turned off? Was a detection changed? Were configurations changed? We show all that in an activity feed, right? And you know that's really exciting. It's got it's got a lot of value to it, uh, and uh, we're excited about the the future and where we're going with this.
1: I feel like I met you two months too late because right before we met, I started working on a, a tax service management book, submitted the proposal to O'Reilly, they accepted it, and then I started to read more about CTEM, and I was like, oh my goodness what I'm writing is like the precursor to CTEM. Like it's CTEM encompasses attack service management and other things like threat intelligence. If you wanna fuse those two areas together, you create CTEM. And I, I definitely look at what you all are doing as like being the next generation of advisors. Cause you have to know about so many different facets of security and technology. And you know, like you're saying with that low touch, looking at where you're at today with the company, see, you know, moving into a round, I'm assuming, and looking into the future, where do you want to see the company go?
0: Well, we're going to continue to grow it. You know, we've, we feel we've got a great technology base. Um, you know, we've got, uh, we just were, it hasn't been announced yet. Um, it's still, we, we unofficially got it, but we just got our third patent, which you know, is Congrats. great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so we, we've got a lot more really interesting technological work that we think that is, uh, you know, is unique. That's going to be patented, Mm -hmm. uh, here coming up this year. Uh, and we've got a lot of great customers. We got a lot of great design partners. Um, and we're just going to continue to keep growing a great company. You know, we got great people, just rock stars in the organization. And we're going to keep bringing those people to the table and, and growing this. And, and then we'll see where it goes. You know, the, the goal isn't to, you know, to, to sell it and, you know, the goal is to really help the industry and grow something that's needed. And and this is a capability that's been needed in the industry forever. You know, you got a lot of phenomenal companies with phenomenal technological capabilities and everything is siloed and nothing works together. Mm -hmm. And and we're providing the glue, at least from that defensive ecosystem standpoint, to be able to marry that together with the threat landscape and be able to truly understand, right. How do we need to defend ourselves against the things that are going to kill us? Um, and so we're, we're excited about that. We've got some really good ideas on, on the next things and the next pillars that we're going to build into the product. Yeah. Uh, so we should be announcing those over the coming, you know, three, six, nine, twelve 12 months. Um, and we're just going to continue to listen to the market and our customers and design partners and, and just continue to grow something that's pretty cool. Perfect. Love that.
1: You know, there's a lot of people that listen to our show that, Listen to it for you know inspiration from founders like yourself. They listen to the show for being a better cyber cybersecurity cyber practitioner. For anyone that's listening right now that wants to be a little bit of a better leader in the world of cyber, I feel like you're a great person to get advice from. What would be your one piece of advice to them?
0: Oh boy, to be a better leader, um, you know you have to be uh, you know you have to be genuine. You have to you know you know you have to be honest. You have to uh, you know do what's right by your people, right? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, have their best interests in mind, have your customer's best interests in mind. And I think just being a good leader is just, you know, trying to be a good person and, and doing what's right. And, but also having an understanding that, you know, you've got a responsibility to your employees, to your investors, right? To your customers. Um, and you know, a lot of it is, is bringing great people on that know how to do their jobs way better than you do yeah uh and i would say that that's probably the biggest thing is you know as a leader just make sure that you're hiring people that that are just outstanding Uh, and and that ultimately drives the business the most powerful
1: nick thank you so much for spending some time out of your busy day to jump on the mics with us and also being a great partner putting on events like this with us really helps Hacker Valley reach our audience and kind of like share more insights and wisdom. And it always feels better to do it in person. So big thank you to you and the Interpret Security team. For anyone that wants to stay up to date with Nick, be sure to check out the show notes or description wherever you're listening or watching. You could also find a link to Interpret Security. Be sure to check them out. That is the best way to support the podcast. And with that, we will see everyone next time.